All right, today we're going to be looking at uh, chapters 20 to 24, at least talking about chapters 20 to 24 as we, uh, as we press on, um, you know, with, uh, with the reading before us. And we'll start kind of like what we did last time with a, with a brief overview of these chapters. And then um, I want to spend some time, especially in chapter 20, and then uh, reference to 21 and also 24 as we have time. So the theme of, of these, this section is, is really concerning Israel and Judah specifically. Next time when we meet, I think chapters 25 to 32, there's judgment on the nations. But for now, uh, with these particular chapters, as we've seen before, judgment on Judah for her apostasy, for her, her sinfulness, her rejection of God, and faithlessness to his holy word. God recounts how generations of Israelites compounded their sins. So it wasn't just they stayed the same, but they got worse and worse and worse. God desired to pour His wrath, and I guess that should be P-O-U-R, pour His wrath against them. But by His grace, stilled His own hand. While the elders come seeking counsel, that's what we'll be talking about in, in chapter 20, God speaks only to Ezekiel and reveals how the withdrawal of his blessings will ultimately lead to Israel's repentance. God's hand draws his sword of judgment, Nebuchadnezzar. And that's another theme which we, uh, which we are hoping to discuss today as well. And not only Nebuchadnezzar, uh, but how God works to bring about his judgment and the means he uses to do that. And... Let's see, like a prosecuting attorney, Ezekiel presents God's charges against Judah, who has forgotten her Lord. Both the northern and southern kingdoms, so you might recall that the northern kingdom was Israel at the time, the southern kingdom was Judah. Initially, they were united as one until Rehoboam, who is King Solomon's son. After his reign, the, the, uh, the, um, uh, the nation divided into two kingdoms. Okay, so both the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel prostituted themselves, so they're called sisters, I think in chapter 23. Uh, the older sister is considered Israel. Judah followed her older sister in, in uh, their idolatrous practices and the like. They prostituted themselves by worshiping foreign gods and forming alliances with foreign governments. We had seen this before um, earlier in earlier chapters, how the... the uh, how the people of Judah also put idols inside the temple itself and there worshiped the idols. That's how bad it got. But we also see how they, how they joined with foreign governments, foreign nations against a common enemy kind of thing too. And this, of course, without God's direction, without God's approval. There was a time, if you recall, with... Uh, Let's see, when was it? I think it was in Joshua's time, um, where, where I think it was the Gibeonites. Does anyone recall that account? That I think the Gibeonites, they, they made it look like they, were, they had wandered for like years and years, or a long, a long distance. And they made a treaty with the Israelites under Joshua, and, and the, uh, the, uh, the weakness of, of the Israelites at the time, they did not inquire of the Lord. They just immediately took them at their word 
and made a treaty with them. And, uh, and therefore, they were kind of bound by their own hands, so to speak, because they swore before the Lord that they would not, they would not uh, destroy the Gibeonites. By God's own hand, the Babylonians besieged Jerusalem. Finally, Ezekiel must told in his sorrow over the death of his wife as a sign to the exiles that they have no right to mourn over the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem. In other words, they got what they deserve. They got what they deserved. And uh, so that's another theme that I'd like to uh, talk about later as we have time. All right, so to begin with, open your Bibles, if they're not already open, to Ezekiel chapter 20. And I'd like to start with verses 1 through 4. Um, let's see, maybe, can we start with Wayne, uh, verse 1. It came to pass in the seventh year, in the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, that certain of the elders of Israel came to inquire of the Lord and sat before him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Okay, so that's 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 good for now anyway. But what have the elders come to do? They've come to seek whether or not the Lord is going to destroy them or whether they're going to yeah. receive God's help. Yeah, and, and what was and, and we'll be reading uh, in the rest of the chapter uh, a fuller response of God to that, but most immediately, um, what is the response that God gives? So sorry to God. <laughs> yeah, that's a little paraphrase, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much the sense, right? I will not be inquired of by you. Will you judge them, son of man? Will you judge them? Let them know the abominations of their fathers. Now, um, I, I want to I read the continuing verses of this chapter to verse 44. That's not the entirety of the chapter, but it's a good portion of it. And I want you to be thinking about these questions as we're reading. Does God need any justification for what he does? Of course, the answer is no, right? I mean, it's, it's a given. But we still, to a large degree, demand that justification from God for what he does and says. And then I also want you to think about what stands out in the chapter. So as we're reading, as comments come up, as, as thoughts do, uh, be sure to raise your hand or say, hey, pastor. You know, I, I'll do that too. I won't say, hey, pastor, but um, I'll, uh, I'll comment as well. So let, let's continue uh, uh, reading with verse 5 and then following. I don't know which way we're going. Which way are we going? Are we going to go this way? Say to them, thus says the Lord God, on the day when I choose Israel and raise my hand in an to be descendants of the house of Israel. Made myself known to them in the land of Egypt. I raised my hand in an oath to them, saying, I am the Lord your God. On that day I raised, up my, raised my hand in an oath to them to bring them out of the land of Egypt into the land that I had searched out for them, flowing with milk and honey, the glory of all lands. Are we on six? 
Seven. 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 And I say to them, each of you get rid of the vile images you have set your eyes on. Do not defile themselves, yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me and would not obey me. They didn't, did not all cast away the abomination which was before their eyes. Nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. All right, hold on there, okay? Um, yeah, w- what is the Lord doing here? What is he reminding them of? Through Ezekiel the prophet. Well, first off, that he was the one that brought them out of Egypt. Yeah. But yet they brought their idols with them. Yeah. Well, and, and immediately we might think of, you know, oh, the golden yeah. calf, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, how, how did it get to the point that, uh, you know, they, they didn't have food and they didn't have water, and yet they complained to God and they say, you brought us out here to kill us. They said that any number of times, right? Even though God had promised, I will bring you to the promised land. They just didn't believe. Yeah, they didn't believe. And, and that, uh, that moving away or that, that disbelief, of course, led them to, um, to their idolatry as well. Um, you might recall the account, and, and this is after, after God delivered them from the, the, the Egyptians, but remember with Joshua and Achan. Remember um, when they went to attack um, Ai, Ai, um, they lost the battle and, and a number of their own people died. It was maybe only a handful or a couple hundred, um, but they were confident that the Lord would deliver them from their enemies, and yet this man named Achan took what was not his to take, what God had forbidden him to take. You know, and uh, in other words, he trusted not in what the Lord said, but in his own desires more so uh, than the Lord. And, and, you know, certainly more will be recounted as, as we continue on, but he's reminding them of what God had done for them. And, you know, essentially why they are where they are at that time and why this impending judgment is coming upon them. All right, uh, let's continue with verse 12 then. I think we're with Ashley. Is it 12? Well, we were on No, nine. It's, I was in the middle of eight. Okay, yeah. so yeah. Do you want to finish eight? Yes, please finish eight. <laughs> Thank you. Then I said, I will pour out my fury on them and fulfill my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. <clears throat> but I acted for my name's sake that it should not be profaned before the Gentiles among them. They were, in the sight I made myself known to them, to bring them out of the land of Egypt. In verse 10. Yeah. Therefore I made them go out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. All right, that's, okay, hold there. Um, interestingly, uh, to, to note uh, specifically is why did God do what he did? as recorded in verse 9 and following. It was not for the sake of the people. No, for his name. For his name. Yeah, we're, we're also reminded, or we might be reminded of, of this, uh, we will be now, certainly. But just from the reading, how God, how, how God um, on occasion, remember the, with the golden calf incident, he was going to destroy them all. And only... You know, ensure his promise and give his promise to Moses alone, right? Yeah. Moses interceded for the people, 
And Moses, in a sense, you know, basically said, take me instead. But he also said, Lord, remember your word. Remember your promise that you made. And if you do this, if you destroy your own people, what are the nations going to say about you? And we'll see that theme recurring um, in, in the words before us. So, Shirley, could you... Uh, and I gave them my statutes and showed them my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. My reverse 12. Also, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between us, so that they would know that I, the Lord, made them holy. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes, but rejected my rules, by which a person does them, he shall live. And my Sabbath they greatly profaned. Now, before we move on, notice why the Lord, here, here the Lord gives explanation why he gave the Sabbath. Remember the, 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 the initial Sabbath, which means rest, right? On the seventh day, God rested from his labors, and then he gave that day of rest to his people, not for God's sake, but for theirs. All right, so as a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. What was the temple all about? Right? That they know not only God's presence, but God's presence for them, for their good, that he was the one who was protecting them. Uh, that he was their shelter, their refuge, their strength, not only in good times, of course, but also when the surrounding nations were coming upon them, and yet they had forsaken him. And we see that uh, recurring theme as well. They greatly profaned my Sabbaths. It became something different than what God originally intended for them. Okay, and, and I cut you off in the middle too, didn't I? Um, this, I... Why I'm doing that is because uh, the, I, I'm using the, the Lutheran Study Bible and it's got paragraphs, and it marks it off for some reason right in the middle of the sentence. <laughs> so yeah. Then I said, I will pour out my wrath upon them in the wilderness to make a full end of them. Verse 14. Yeah. But I acted for the sake of my name that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations, before whose sight I had brought them up. Moreover, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into the land that I had given them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most glorious of all lands. Because they despised my judgments and did not walk in my statutes, but profaned my Sabbath, for their heart went after their idols. Yet I looked on them with pity and did not destroy them or put an end to them in the desert. Them and live by, them, by them. 
and they desecrated my Sabbath. So I said, I would pour out my wrath on them, spend my anger against them in the desert. Nevertheless, I withdrew my hand and acted for my name's sake, that I should not be profane in the sight of the Gentiles, in whose sight I had brought them out. Also, I raised my hand in an oath to those in the wilderness, that I would scatter them among the Gentiles and disperse them to their countries. Because they had not executed my judgments, they had despised my statutes, profaned my Sabbath, and their eyes were fixed on their father's idols. Therefore, I also gave, gave them a few statutes that were not good, and judgments by which they could not live. I let them become defiled through their gifts, the sacrifice of every firstborn, that I might fill them with horror, so they would know that I am the, the Lord. All right, let's, uh, let's hold off there. What seems to be going on? And there's a lot of repetition here, isn't there? Yeah. Well, one thing is idolatry and the profaning of Sabbaths, and uh, that just seems to continue to occur and reoccur mm -hmm. throughout. Yeah. It, it makes me think, you know, I guess to apply to today, mm -hmm. you know, people who neglect the Lord's day, <coughs> but what are they doing? They're neglecting His Word, and in that sense, they profane His name because mm -hmm. it's His Word He gives us in His name. Right. And then people pursue their idols. Very often it's job, money, work, mm -hmm. softball, <laughs> sports, soccer, whatever. football. You know, they, oh. they have other priorities than yeah. not to hear God's word. Right. And even trying to put ourselves in this place, mm -hmm. the guy, the idea of profaning his name, well, what is his name? Mm -hmm. You know, the divine yeah. name, which we translate I am. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. just really, who is that? And we mm -hmm. find, especially in the Gospel of John, it's Jesus. Mm -hmm. yeah. And his word, which we are to hear on his day, mm -hmm. is to continually bring us into the presence of Jesus. Mm -hmm. If we are not keeping our eyes on Jesus, then idols take the place of that honor. Yeah. So we profane his name when we profane his Sabbath because we're not hearing his word and we're forgetting about Jesus. Mm -hmm. and, and the people back then, he said, well, Jesus hadn't come yet. Well, but the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus. Right. The I am. Mm -hmm. And that's what I see continually being repeated here. And when we forget Jesus, mm -hmm. then we abort 70 million unborn babies. Mm -hmm. yeah. And we have other idols. And, and do things, also, do things ever get better, you know, when, when the idol replaces the Lord? I mean, it can't be, think about it, it can't be any other way, can it? I mean, you either have the true God or you don't have the true God. And if you don't have the true God, you have an idol. It's either one or the other. It, it, it's not a both and kind of thing. And, and I know this makes some people very uncomfortable because Scripture speaks in that black and whiteness. Or should I say blackness and whiteness? You know, there is that distinction. And yes, we are discriminating because it has to do with the truth of God, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. And also the churches say go preach the true word of God. Yeah. Uh, give a different message of profaning yeah. God too. Yeah. And, and in, my, in my observation, that doesn't happen overnight. You know, it, it, it's gradual, and and what we 
what we had seen or have seen with especially Israel, but also with the church today, again, it's kind of incremental in terms of changing this way or that way. Um, I, I was kind of thinking about this a little bit, but just in terms of you know the, the society today, how are things ever going to get better as idols have replaced the Lord? I mean, even within the church, you know, have you ever tried talking with someone reasonably and they just didn't get it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're we're almost to a point that for many you can't speak reasonably with people. Yeah. Their hearts are hardened. Yeah. We we've seen that before in scripture, I think, haven't we? Somewhere. Yeah. And and so it's it's not, you know, thinking of, of Pharaoh in particular, his heart was hardened, but we also find that God hardened his heart too. Uh, in Romans 1, and this is very uh, striking, and, and, and I'm assuming very disturbing to such a degree that that's why many people don't refer to it today, because it's not politically correct, one iota. In Romans 1, it speaks about how God gave them over to unnatural lusts, you know, speaking of homosexuals and, and, uh, and, uh, and, and the like. They knew, though they knew God, they refused, they rejected him. You know, and they kind of went their own way, and God said, and I'm paraphrasing, okay, you want to do that? Go ahead. And he punishes sin with sin. And that does happen. That God punishes sin with sin. With reference to Pharaoh, God certainly did that. Pharaoh's heart was hardened, but God also hardened it even more to demonstrate his mercy to his own people. And we learn of that in, uh, in Romans 9, I think it is a little bit more as well. Uh, Romans 9, 10, around there. All right, um, there, there's another, uh, um, we, we, we read that I think at least three times, where the Lord says, uh, let's see if I could find it, um, for the sake of my name, right? That, uh, yeah, I acted for the sake of my name. I'm reading from verse 9, but there's a couple other places where this is located too. In the sight of the nations, should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they live. That seems also to be a big deal. You know, um, not only for God's people, but concerning the nations too, that God's name not be profaned. That he be the one, and, and, and think about this, when God says, prefacing the commandments as we understand them in, in Exodus 20, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. No other God did that, by the way. No other God saves as God alone saves. There's also another component to this, too, and we learn of this, I think, in uh, Psalm, I want to say Psalm 14, Psalm 53, and a few other places, you know, speaking, God through the psalmist speaking about idols, they have ears, but they do not hear. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Feet, but they don't walk. Hands, but they don't grasp. And the like. They're nothing. Only the God of God, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, saves as he does. And this is the very one that they're denying. You know, and uh, I mean, it's, it's amazing because you think of uh, another, another uh, part of this is Deuteronomy 7. In verse 6, where God says through Moses to the people, 
I did not choose you because you're the most numerous. I chose you that I might keep my promise to Abraham. And then you might ask, well, why did God choose Abraham? Beats me. Some will say, well, God chose Abraham because God knew that Abraham was going to believe and he was going to do. The text says nothing about that. God simply says to Abraham, okay, go out of your own country, the home of your fatherland, and go to a place that I will show you. The next day, he packs up his bags and goes. I mean, we see that with Abraham. That's what faith does, right? Um, and, and God does not choose on the basis of whether or not one is going to believe or not. Um, think about this. In John 3.16, we could all say it together, I guess, right? Uh, depending on the translation, but God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son only if people believe in him, right? No. It's not at all dependent on us. It's not all dependent on you. And, and that's what the Israelites did not understand. It was not about them. It was about God and his name, sanctifying it, hallowing it. Remember that word? Hallowed be thy name. Uh, that applies there too. You know, because if you profane the name, if you profane the Sabbath, who are you actually profaning that? Yeah, it's not just the day. It's profaning God. And I mean, this is this is why God uh, to Moses, uh, through Moses to the people, through Joshua and the like, commanded them and forbade them from intermarrying with other nations at that time because they were idolaters. Now, things are certainly different today, right? Um, but back then, they, they and, and we'll get into this, we might get into this, but in the readings uh, of this chapter, there is reference to the people of Israel actually, actually sacrificing their own children through the fire. It got that bad. That's Those other nations, no. Israel is doing that too. Yeah, and the king, some of the kings actually authorized it. You know, so as the leaders, so the people. You know, and, and, and yet there was this, you know, might we say one lone voice in the wilderness, Ezekiel, you know, who, who speaks, uh, speaks as he does. All right. Are there any thoughts about uh, what we've read so far? Anything that kind of stands out? I saw a repeated statement that uh, uh, let's see if I can find it the man who obeys my laws will live by them mm -hmm. repeated several times yeah so I don't guess that would be important it would be yeah um, one, one correction though I, I would I, I'd have to check this but oftentimes when the word obey comes up in the Hebrew it's actually the word for hear which has the component not only of going in one ear and out the other kind of thing, um, not at all, but rather hearing and then hearing, believing, doing. You know, it's kind of all wrapped together. It's not just hearing, listening. You know, um, we, we have this tendency, I think, today, uh, in, 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 in some respects, to speak about listening and hearing, and we divorce that from actually believing and doing. Well, I heard what you said. You know, how many times have you heard younger people say that? Maybe your own kids? I heard you, Mom. I heard you, Dad. Um, well, if you did, then also do, right? They had to change the signs in Texas. 
for construction zones. They used to say, observe warning signs. And if you look at them now, yeah. it says obey. Oh, yeah. A lot of them have a sticker that says obey. Just paste yeah. it over where it used to say observe. Yeah. Because, yeah, just the, because of this kind of stuff. The, well, the, the word observe, the word here, kind of has lost its, its emphasis, right? Yeah. You know, of what it means. Observe that just, just oh, yeah, there's a sign there. Yeah. But, okay, comment? Another thing that I see kind of, well, starts off with that, and I'm kind of looking ahead at verse 27 there. Yet, in this your fathers have blasphemed me by acting treacherously against me. Mm -hmm. And it makes me think of what we read in the Catechism, which Luther borrows from you know, Exodus 20, the sins of the fathers upon right. the children to the third and fourth generation. Because yeah. yeah. these, these folks are quite a few generations after the wilderness wanderings. And they might go, like, what's that got to do with us? Mm -hmm. You know, that's so long yeah. ago. Right. But, but there is this yeah. spillover right. from the abominations of one generation onto following generations unless yeah. it's interrupted by God's word and his grace. Right. To break the cycle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then that cycle yet, sadly, continues too. You know, so, I mean, think of the judges, for example, right? I mean, we see that there's there's God's judgment because of Israel's sin, and eventually they do repent. And God hears, and God delivers, right? Through a judge. And then they get complacent again, and then the cycle resumes and continues. And, you know, you, you might recall, too, that with Josiah, what's kind of fascinating about Josiah, and we had that BBS um, in October, the 31st, I remember, right? It actually was on the day of, of uh, Reformation, as celebrated. But Josiah, he instituted these reforms, but, you know, just, just one or two generations after that, they apostatized. I mean, you know, after his, his, his uh, reign, they apostatized yet again. And even worse, and, and so on and so forth. Um, so we see that, and yet God is continually gracious and merciful, right? Um, and yeah, the sins of the fathers. And Ezekiel also brings attention to this fact that uh, that uh, it's it's not only for the sins of the fathers, and not particularly for the sins of the fathers, but for their own sins that they will be judged, that they will be condemned. And that, that certainly applies to us. And that's um, kind of what Stephen does in his sermon to the oh, Sanhedrin. Yeah. Yeah. He gives them a, a Sabbath yeah. school lesson of yeah. all the history of the people. And he, and of course the warning there, the gospel, yeah. is don't do like your fathers. And then mm -hmm. yet they reject the Christ. I don't know if I want to call this an epiphany. I won't I won't call it that. Um, but, but, you know, on the way here, um, you know, I, I was reminded, maybe I'll put it that way, I was reminded that um, that it's not only about what will be because of our certain circumstances that we find ourselves in societally and the like. Um, I was listening to a program that had to do with uh, kind of the, the warning bells of what may be coming in terms of freedom of speech, you know, the Second Amendment and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, believe it or not, as you will, but it dawned on me that so often, you know, we are inclined to think about what might be in the future, which is, which is, I think, valid. But at the same time, what about recognizing what God himself tells or speaks to us for now, for the present? You know, in terms of, you know, um, having no other gods before me, 
he says. Not just later, but also now. You know, so when, when, when we have, you know, false teachers, we know that the danger of false teaching, basically leading to hell. But what about hallowing God's name in the present with one's teaching, with one's life? So in other words, I'm not thinking of just in the future, which is a, a great concern, but what about the great concern of the here and now, the present time? Does that make sense? Yeah, so, so Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, today is the day of salvation. You know, today I have saved you. Today is the day to believe. Not, and I, I've had people talk like that too. I, I had a friend uh, a number of years ago. We would be talking, you know, about things. And he says, well, you know, maybe I'll decide to become a Christian just before I die. No, you, you can't. Well, and that's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a uh, irrelevant word, I think. You know, procrastinate uh, with, with, with reference to what we ought to be doing right here and now, what God calls us to do. Um, but uh, I don't know, any, any thoughts or reactions? Because it's not just about the coming judgment on Israel, but it's about what Ezekiel is saying at the present. Okay, you guys hear this? Israelites, you hear, you hear this, this is what you ought to be repenting right now. And not just when things get worse. Yeah. It's not about just sending commitments by, by doing them. It's sending commitments by not doing them. Like yeah, it's, it's a both and. I mean, it's, it's the sin of omission and the sin of commission. Yeah. You, know, um, you know, kind of thing. So um, I'd like to, to move on uh, to verse 33. Now, you know, I, I know we, we skipped a few verses here. But kind of a similar similar things going on, um, and all of this is in the context of, of of Ezekiel speaking to the elders as well, and and to the people, you know, who come to inquire of the Lord, you know, and he recounts for them, particularly the elders, but also generally the people. Okay, you come to inquire of me. Look at all this that you have done, and you're still doing it, by the way. All right, uh, verse 33 and a few verses in, please. I forget where we left off. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with a breath poured out, I will be king over you. Verse 34, yes, sir. And I shall bring you out from the peoples and gather you from the lands where you are scattered with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm, and with wrath poured out. Verse 35. And I will bring you into the wilderness of peoples, and there I will enter into judgment with your face to face. As I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will enter into judgment with you, declares the Lord God. I will make you pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. I will purge out the rebels from among you, and those who transgress against me. I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn, but they shall not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Serve everyone of his house in Sarah, and you will not obey me to 
Okay, let's uh, let's stop there. But yeah, I mean, there there is a dividing line, isn't there? I mean, God is on one side, Israel is on the other. Israel is called to repent, and God says, you know, we, we just heard, if you're, gonna, if you're going to uh, not listen to me, then serve your idols. Have it your way. And, uh, you know, we, we also uh, just, again, a review of, of the historical narrative as, as given in Samuel. Remember, it was the people after the judges. So Samuel was the last of the judges. He was also a prophet. Remember, Samuel was the one who was born of Hannah and who was lent to the Lord, whom Hannah lent to the Lord. He served under Eli in God's house. And when he was younger, God called to him and said, Samuel, Samuel, and remember, he went to Eli. Eli, you called me? No, go back to bed. And then God calls again, and then he runs back to Eli. You know that account, right? Um, and then eventually, Eli says, Ah, oh, this is the Lord. Okay, so next time he calls you, say, Lord, here I am. Here am I. Um, you know, speak for your sermon is listening. And from that point on, of course, you know, we, we're, we're told in the account that Samuel grew in stature in the sight of God and met. Kind of similar to John the Baptist in a way. Um, but, uh, but we see him, and he's leading the people, he's judging. In early Samuel, the people actually asked for a king because they want to be like the other nations around them. Okay, that, that's, a, that's a, a, a telltale sign that their hearts are already moving further away from the Lord and his, uh, and his goodness to them. They ask for a king, and God says, uh, Samuel's upset, and God says to Samuel, don't be upset because they're not, they're not questioning you. They're actually rejecting me. But they want to have a king, so give them what they want. But I will be the one choosing. And then you will also detail to the people of Israel all the things that the king would do against them. You know, so their sons, their daughters would all go to, the, you know, would go to the king. Um, you know, their animals, their, you know, their uh, their plenty. Uh, they would support the king and his rule, and and the like. Um, and then eventually, of course, that king would kind of do his own thing, contrary to God and his word, and then lead the people further away from him. Okay, so we see that contrast here between Israel, who is leaving, and God, who remains the same, is faithful to his word. Um, and we see that, uh, you know, if, if, if should we continue reading, of course, we'll, we'll see that for the sake of God's name, God keeps his promises. God is always faithful. We learned that in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament, of course. You know, God is faithful. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's not dependent on you, by the way. And this is the good news that God's grace and favor is also not dependent on you. Right? Um, so, so God's goodness to his people was not dependent on them, but certainly he would judge them and he would punish them for disbelieving for their unbelief in his, in his word and promises. So now to that question, why might it be that we seek justification from God for what he does or says? We know the answer, right? Does God need any justification from us? Well, no. But then why do we ask or why do we seek justification? Maybe another way of saying that is why do we need proof? Not to believe. Not to believe. Yeah. To uh, re recall in 
I think it was John chapter 20, with uh, Thomas, who is not simply doubting, as is sometimes referred to, but he was actually unbelieving. Unless I, unless I see the marks in his hands and put my fingers there and touch the side, I won't believe. Even though the disciples who had seen Jesus, there were ten of them, ten eyewitnesses were telling Thomas that they had seen Jesus. Um, and he would not believe unless he saw. And then Jesus says to him, "Do not." he didn't say, do not be doubting. He said, do not be unbelieving, but believe. I looked that up, by the way. Oh, did you? I did. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So hopefully everything I said here is verified. Then, okay. Yeah. But verified, certified, <laughs> canvas. Yeah. All that stuff. <laughs> to use modern day language, right? Yeah. Um, you got a fact check, man. Yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> Yeah, be, be, uh, be, I, I, I probably won't say it today. Maybe I will. Uh, but speak about fake news. I don't know. <laughs> That's a new word, right? But uh, yeah, why? Yeah, because of sin, we seek justification from God. But, you know, when, when he says to the elders, you know, to Ezekiel, you know, will you inquire of me? I'm not going to tell you anything that you want to hear. Is God justified in doing that? Yes. Why? Because he's, because he's God, right? Yeah. But but notice also his response, right? To through Ezekiel to the people. How how can they inquire of God if they are continuing to sin? I mean, think about that. Yeah. This Willfully. Is, yeah. This is not too unlike Isaiah chapter one, which is a hundred some odd years before, and where Isaiah says, uh, quoting the Lord, yeah. though you pile up your prayers, though you keep all these festivals, yeah. you bring your offerings, I won't listen. Yeah. And you know, a lot of times people say God hears every prayer, and I go, not according to scripture. No. Because if, if you have a heart that is compromised, mm -hmm. and, and you're trying to keep your feet in two sides of the fence, mm -hmm. It, it doesn't work. And the Lord basically says, I'm stopping my ears up. I don't want to listen yeah. to you. And and I see a similarity here. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, the, the God says, you, you can't keep doing what you're doing, mm -hmm. practicing your idolatry yeah. and profaning my name, right. and then expect me to listen to your prayers. And I think the idea that what we learned in the catechism, when we pray, we pray humbly in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's not for my sake, but for Jesus' sake, right. which we say in our prayer. Right. And this seems to be reflected. I'm going to say something very Lutheranish. Law and gospel. Those who, those, those who are still in the sin, they are not right for the gospel. They are to hear the law and the law only. And, and that's exactly what's going on here. And we see these parallels you know, between, between the prophets. Go figure. Um, you know, with reference to creation, you know, some will say, or evolution, um, you know, some will say that, uh, you know, the, the DNA between primates are very closely similar to the DNA of humans. You know, and they'll say, hey, look, you know, humans came from apes kind of thing. Okay, so they'll make that jump. Another way of looking at that rationally, I think, is we've got the same creator. <laughs> Just the thought. I mean, you know. Uh, I mean, it's true, by the way. Um, but in terms of the argument, 
that is that is somewhat given. And we see these parallels in here. If one is not ready for the for the gospel, they only need they they are only given law. Um, and that's why you know when Jesus says what he says to the Pharisees in the New Testament, it seems so harsh. And here it seems harsh because that's what they need to hear. You know, rather than saying, woe is me, I am undone, I am a man of unclean lips in the midst of a people of unclean lips, they don't recognize the extent of their sinfulness and their need for, for God's grace and favor. Why don't they think apes come from humans? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, and, and that, is, that, that is quite interesting because, you know, evolution, just on, on, on the argument, Evolution kind of gives this idea that things are progressively improving. That's no, not the reality. That's not right. The reality is just the opposite. Things are not improving or getting better. Things are actually getting worse. Yeah, I, I think is that chaos theory or yeah. I, I forget. I, you know, I, I, I didn't really. I, I probably heard of it because that's why I'm saying it. But you know, the second law of thermodynamics and, and those kind of things. So. I just noticed the time. We, we we still have a lot to go through, um, but we're we're up on uh, up on time. So, uh, but I did have some references to j uh, chapter 21, and really I, I just wanted to highlight there that the sword of God that that Ezekiel that God is referring to is not God, and is it's not His word either. It's actually Babylon. Um, Luther uh, had had mentioned in. in Hopefully this will become clear in just a moment, but Luther had mentioned that God punishes governments with other governments. Sure. Nations by other nations. Um, and uh, I, I think it's, it's very applicable here. God is punishing Israel. He first published Israel, or not published, punished Israel by, by the hand of Assyria. And now he's punishing Judah. But why does he do that? Actually, he does that because he loves them. He, wants, he desires their repentance, that they believe in him and, and so be delivered from their enemies and delivered from sin and death. And, and so the Lord also does that to us. And then lastly, um, in chapter 24, I'll, I'll let you read that, but it's, it's really kind of, uh, um, you know, amazing and startling because uh, the prophet Ezekiel is married and his wife dies, but God tells him, don't mourn for her in public. And the reason he does that, which we read in the, which we heard in the summary, is because that was be, to be a sign for the people not to mourn over Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple because that's what they deserved. Um, and, and again, the bigger picture here is that God called them to repentance, that they believe in his promises and turn from their sinful ways. All right, thank you for your time. And we will conclude with a prayer and then go to church. We pray. Gracious God, forgive us for our sins and for our transgressions and iniquities against you and against one another. Have mercy upon us for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lead us ever by your word that we turn from our wicked ways and trust fully and confidently in your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.